Great. Well, it's I'm glad to be with y'all and um, love that y'all get to explore and do a dive into some, I think, important, challenging, beautiful topics um, this time of year. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think hope. Um, yeah, I think I think it's both challenging and beautiful, and I'm sure y'all have been delving into that a lot. I um yeah, I'll share just a little bit more about myself. I'm an engineer by training, electrical engineering. I worked as a computer engineer for a couple of years before I joined staff full-time with university. I was volunteering um down in Houston, Texas and um yeah, so I but I've been on staff with university now full-time for 22, 23 years-ish. Um in Texas, the San Francisco Bay Area and before I um, started this national role with um, as an Asian American Ministries national director. Um, and I think, you know, just to sort of start us off a little bit thinking about hope, you know, I, I get to speak at different college campuses, work with campus staff, um, many of whom, you know, are in their 20s. And um, I, I think I read something the other day, I can't remember what article it was, but it was saying that, you know, it might've been the New York times. It was saying that every generation thinks that they have it particularly hard. Um, I don't know if y'all saw this article, but it was something like everybody thinks that their particular time is pretty bad. And, you know, if you look back, there's been all these other hard things. It made me smile partly because um, at the, at a conference I spoke at in, in earlier this year, I told the group, you know, so this, the group of students gathered there, those who are seniors or so, you know, in their fourth year, they they started um, college as first year students the year that the pandemic started, right? So they lost their whole end of their first year. Maybe their second year was online um, for some folks. Maybe they were able to be on campus, but it's been just not what they would have expected, right? In terms of what people hype up as a college experience. And um, I was telling them, you know, when I was many, many generations, I think have talked about uh, I'll always say like, oh, well, your generation has it so easy, right? Back in my day, we walked uphill both ways in the snow and, you know, carried all our book, you know, carried all our things. You know, my version of that is like, we didn't even have email or like what, what, there was no Google. You just, you just didn't know, you know, like, um, so, but I told them, you know, I was like, I actually, for them, I was like, I, I feel like I had it a lot easier than you in a lot of ways um, in terms of the college experience, especially because, you know, I got to have my quote unquote regular college experience that wasn't interrupted by a global pandemic. Um, we, you know, sc school shootings back then were, were new, you know, school shooting, uh, I Columbine didn't happen until after I graduated um, from college. And, you know, today's students, they've always known that, you know, um, they've always uh, heard about climate change. They've always, you know, done the lockdown drills and all these different pieces. So as I think about, as I've thought about um, hope and how it connects or doesn't connect, right, for young people, for um, college students or those in their, for our alumni who are in their twenties. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm really, glad that y'all are delving into this topic. I think it's it's so important. Um, yeah, just to tell you a, a little bit more context for myself, and then I'll get more into um, the content. Let's make sure this works. Uh, okay. 
This should work. Yeah. So this, I titled it Hope, Lament, and Faithfulness. Um, and then um wanted to sh just share you a little, show you a little bit of, these are some of the staff I get to work with. This was at a conference in LA. Folks get to bring their babies to meetings, which I think makes a meeting better. Um, there's something about having a baby in the meeting that actually, uh, I think, humanizes concepts you're talking about or helps remind us, like, who's, who, who are what we do? Who, we're talking about all these concepts and things, but who is it for, you know? It's for for students, but also for the next generation. And as um, as Kevin mentioned, helped write a book with these friends. I just wanted to highlight them: um, David, La, myself, and um, Linson. About five years ago, um, when I gathered folks to sort of think about well, what, how do we think about um, a book to help Asian Americans follow Jesus, and and what does that look like? So David's Filipino. La is Hmong. I don't, some people are not familiar with Hmong people. Hmong people are, um, are from Southeast Asia and they don't have their own country. Um, in fact, many Hmong uh, folks supported the United States during the Vietnam War as part of the secret war. And because of that, were um, had to be refugees fleeing Vietnam, Laos, um, and have moved to the United States, a decent, a, a good contingent. Um, so, uh, and then myself, I'm Chinese American and Linson is Indian American. And we were wanting to just write for this generation of um, Asian Americans. And the thing that I say about our book and about um, following Jesus in general in these times, I think every people group throughout the centuries has had to discern what does it mean to follow Jesus in their particular place right, in their particular time and in their particular culture or cultures. And I think that's discernment, right? Like, what does it look like? None of us live in, you know, first century Palestine. Um, the example I like to use with students is, you know, if, if I were a believer in, um, and, you know, and some history professor can definitely correct me on this. I don't know that I have all the facts, but like a 10th century um, European, like farmer, you know, I, quiet times were not a thing, like the personal quiet time of like reading scripture. One, nobody could read, not nobody, but most people couldn't read. Two, we didn't have the printing press, so nobody had their own copy of scripture, you know, and, and all these things. So things that we now in the 21st century take for granted as, oh, this is what it means to be a Christian. You know, it, it, it people have to discern what does it mean to follow Jesus in this place in this time. So we're trying to write for Asian Americans. Um, and um, Part of, for me, part of for me, but all of us, all of us who authors are um, second generation, which means our parents either immigrated or were refugees to the United States. And so there's both the um, faith aspect as well as the cultural aspects of what is it, what does it look like to sort of bridge, you know, sort of our parents or, or our grandparents are, are coming from this other place. And then what does it mean to be American in this place? Um, and, you know, for me, growing up in Richmond in the early 80s, it, it, there was much less diversity than there is now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Richmond is the end all be all. But there, I think for me, there was a lot of, um, I, I, would, I would describe it as internalized racism. So a sense of like not feeling like I belong. Um, actually, this is a very recent statistic. This report just came out in 2023, uh, like last month. Um, that one in four Americans actually still believes that Asian Americans are more loyal to their country of origin than to the United States. So for me, that would mean 
some folks would assume that I'm more loyal to China than to the United States or to Hong Kong than the United States, though Hong Kong isn't even a country. Um, so that is what we call the perpetual foreigner myth. So the idea that, you know, Asian Americans, some Asian Americans have been in the country for seven, seven generations now, more than that, perhaps. Um, but no matter how long we're in the country, the uh, idea that we must be um, foreign, not not um, not from here, not accepted. Um, that was pretty prevalent for my growing up. Um, you know, I, I think even into my 20s, um, I still feel it sometimes now. Right. But um and I think there's a, a lot in our book about what that um, experience is like, how we um, how we welcome, how we can welcome Jesus's healing, how we can forgive um, these pieces. One vignette I'll tell you: um, I was at a conference a few years back and met a I met a friend's parents. So they were in their they're in their seventies, um, and they had immigrated to the United States and one of the moms said, the mom said to me, you know, she's like, you know, I really feel for your generation. She's like, me and my husband, we immigrated to the States. So we knew we weren't going to belong. We knew we were crossing cultures. We knew, and we chose into um, living a life with a lot of difference. She's like, but for y'all, she didn't say y'all, she's from Michigan, but she said, she said for you, um, you didn't choose that, right? You were born here, many of you. And you um you expected because by by nature of being born here and just growing up here you expected probably to fit in you know and so um she's like that expectation gap i think makes it a lot harder you know to be she it was really pretty healing for me to hear her say that you know it's not something i've ever heard uh, uh the immigrant generation say but she was just saying like i i really feel for y'all like that's a very different experience um and so, so all that to say, um, because I'm going to also talk about lament, as I said in the title, that I think hope and lament have to go together in order to um, be faithful. So hope, lament, and faithfulness. Um, there have been significant seasons of my life recognizing, oh, that was really hard, <laughs> you know? And for you, maybe that's not necessarily around race, um, or maybe it is. Um, but there's different seasons, I think, in life where where God helps us realize, you know, oh, this this thing was really hard, or um, this uh, I I've been really hurt in this way, or these things didn't turn out the way I wanted. Um, for Asian Americans, particularly over the last few years, um, I would say the last few years have made uh, since since about 2016, but especially starting in 2019, 2020, um, the, I would say the racism against Asian Americans has just become a lot more visible. So it's interesting. We started writing our book, um, before the pandemic started. And then, you know, we thought we were almost done. <laughs> uh, we met up in the, in January, 2020, uh, with mostly written chapters, we're giving each other feedback. We figured, oh, another six months, we'll be done with this thing. But of course, then the pandemic hit and three of us had kids who were home online. Three of us, three, three of us families had kids online in online school, you know, all the time. So nobody could get anything done. We could, you could barely have a thought, much less write down your thought. Um, so it took much longer, but and I remember, you know, us talking on Zoom at one point saying like, so should, 
do we need to start over? Because so much has changed in some ways for Asian America. But what we came to realize was, yes, there's been a change in visibility in terms of some more people being aware of um, racism against Asian Americans and some people stoking that racism. But, um, but, but really what it is, it's made it more visible stuff that's already been there. You know, many of us realize, oh no, this has been there a long time. Um, these experiences, it's just being much more highlighted. Um, I'll share one, one of my staff, when she was a, she was a student, um, during the pandemic and uh she went to class and the professor called she's she's actually an adoptee she's a transracial adoptee she's chinese american her parents are white um she was adopted as a baby girl um and so you know there's there's a lot going on already for her and in this class the professor called her out and said oh have you ever been to a wet market because your people started this thing and was just going on sort of about uh, COVID and, you know, she, he's in a position of authority. He's talking in front of the whole class. She didn't know what to do in the moment necessarily, but later was like, I can't take this class because he's gonna, he's not gonna one grade me well is one part of it. Like I'm, it's, I'm just going to be at a disadvantage, but also I can't, I don't want to be in a position to be, a, suffer this kind of um, verbal abuse. And so she reported it to HR and several students did actually, because he called out several students in their class. I mean, this is like just two years ago, um, but nothing was ever done. Like the professor continued to teach. Um, so students were facing that in classrooms and then um, in cities with large Asian American populations, especially where there's a lot of pedestrians, there was a lot of violence against um, Asian elders. I remember in that season hosting a gathering for some of our some of our Asian American staff and um you know people being very afraid for their parents um for their grandparents for their relatives who lived in these cities and needed to go around and do their thing and um like get go around and go to the market and you know um and what does it look like to 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 hold that space for each other, to lament in that space together, to bring our concerns um, to God. Um, and then sort of the culmination of some of those things was the shootings um, in Atlanta of, I think it was six Asian women. Um, and also another man and another woman also were killed. Um, and I think what, what, was the hardest for some of us was that the shooter um, claimed to be a Christian, uh, a young white man claimed to be a Christian and and felt that Asian women um, were an object, object of temptation. And I, I say object very clearly. I think he did not see Asian women as human, right? Or as people, as a subject. He saw them as objects. Saw them as objects of temptation and felt like he needed to um, eliminate them. I mean, thankfully, we know that, you know, that's not, that's not who Jesus calls us to be. But it was very, very painful um, to hear that that's what he claimed. Um, so I give all that context to say, this is where I'm coming from. This is, these are the things I've been reflecting on as I think about hope 
as I think about lament, as I think about faithfulness, you know, when, um, when we had kids, well, when I moved from Texas to the Bay area, um, I described that as one of the most hopeful things I'd ever done because I, um, because I loved my life in Texas, but I thought, oh, you know, I think I want to see if something, see if the Bay area might be, um, might be a better place for me. Um, so that felt hopeful. I'm going to stop the share for a minute. Um, if that might be more hopeful. And I said the same thing when we were trying to have kids, I said, you know, I think that might be a very hopeful thing to do because it means that I hope that the world is a good place for these kids. Um, and I think at times that has felt very challenging, you know, um, I, I think many of us can probably agree with that, that there, whether or not you have kids or not, it's, it's like, Oh, wow. What kind of world, um, are we, what kind of world is this, you know, with the different things that are happening? Um, and so as I, as I think about that with students, um, and in my experience of just working with students and alumni for many years now, one of the things that I've, that I'm, I feel very, um, convicted about is that, um, when we have these questions, when we are wondering about, you know, what hope is there or, you know, the things in the world are not matching what I had hoped for, whether that's personal, right? Like whether that's a personal dream that hasn't been fulfilled yet, or whether that's like, you know, the realities right now sometimes of war, of, of genocide, of um, violence um, and hate. Um, maybe on a more systemic or a more global level. The thing that I've continued to try and communicate um, in my ministry is that our um, our posture needs to continue to be one of bringing that to God. Um, so when I talk with students, I particularly use the passage of um, the rich young ruler. I'll share it with you for a moment real quick here. Um, the rich young ruler, if you remember, it's in Mark 10. Uh, I think that's right, actually. Yeah, Mark 10, 17 through 22. So I'll just read it really quickly for you. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he responded, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you are lacking one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. I think of this passage a lot, partly because students remind me of the rich young ruler, um, even though I know college students don't have a lot of money. But uh, in the global scheme of things, right, United States college students, right, are on the higher end of the global scale, right? Um, access to um, classes, access to technology, all these things. Um, and what I, what maybe even, I'll use the word haunts me about this passage is um, it says that 
he walked away sad because he had many possessions. And I, I really wonder what would have happened if he had said to Jesus, that sounds too hard. What do you mean? Right. Engage Jesus in more conversation. We see Jesus interact with a lot of people um, and the ones who um, continue to come back and sort of ask further. Right. So Nicodemus in the middle of the night, just a few chapters before this, the Syrophoenician woman like talks back to Jesus, like continues to entreat um, him to heal her daughter. And I, I wonder and I see in some of the folks that I've worked with over the years, um, when things have gotten hard or something has happened that they didn't understand or they had lost hope, um, maybe it's a family member that gets sick, gets sick and passes away or something that um, shakes their sense of this is how, not how the world is supposed to work. Whether that's really personally or whether in a broader systemic way, like I said, um, I've seen people walk away sad. Um, And what I long to communicate to folks is that God is big enough for all of our feelings, all of our questions, all of our um, all of our doubts in this. Um, I wonder what would happen if the if the ruler had said, "Well, I've kept all this, I've kept all the laws, but what you're asking that sounds really hard." Um, even if he had said, "That's not fair," <laughs> so and so didn't have to do that, you know, or what about so and so, you know, like. Um, in John, Peter's like, oh, what about John? You know, like, he's just like, but the continuing to engage with God, um, that's, and I think some of us, um, some of us, depending on background or temperament or the church we grew up in or, or how we came to faith might feel like, oh, well, if I don't, um, I can't ask God those questions or I can't bring those things to God. I, I think that's, um, that's a limited view of God, right? I think God is big enough and welcomes our questions, welcomes our anger, welcomes our doubts. Um, and I think that lament is a part of that. Um, so in the past, you know, four or five years, um, we've I've had a lot of opportunities to practice lament. Uh, right before, I think it was, it, it was literally late February, I was invited to speak at at Duke University on the topic of lament. It was February 2020. Um, and, you know, in the year or two after that, two, three years after that, that has continued, that has, that became something that I just leaned into a lot, both myself personally, um, but also for students. And um, I think the way I'd like to talk about that a little bit more is from the Psalms. So you might probably already, oh, actually, sorry, one more thing. Um, I think uh, there's both lament, I think, involves bringing these things to God. And there's a there's an aspect of sitting and holding space for things. Um, but also that I hope that it also moves us to action. So it's both. So I think sitting in lament only uh, without moving to any action um, is unhelpful, but only action, right, or only like, you know, pull us all up by our bootstraps without acknowledging the pain, that's also unhelpful, right? Like that just stuffs things to the side. Um, I think they go together hand in hand. So um, the Psalms are full of laments. Um, at about 40% uh, 
of the Psalms are laments. Um, and even a higher percentage have laments incorporated within them. Um, they can be personal. This one is a personal lament, Psalm 13. They can also be communal. Psalm 12, right before this, is communal. Um, and they involve three main sections, as I see it. Um, one is an honest complaint. So for this psalmist, he's writing, you know, how long will you forget me, Lord? How long will you hide your face um, from me? Um, so it involves an honest complaint. Um might be a way of naming what you've lost that you're grieving um, or what you're struggling with as you look, whether that's inward at yourself or outward at what's around you. Um, I think that honesty, um, yeah, God welcomes our honesty, you know, um, any real relationship involves honesty, right? Um, and sometimes I, uh, for me personally, I, I kind of, um, do this sort of hand wave of like, oh, well, God, you, you already know what I think anyway, but I actually have found that that's, uh, a, a bit of a, 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 I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. Shortcut's not the right word. Um, but it, it's a bit of a. Yeah, maybe shortcut is the word I'm thinking of. That there, I think there's something really powerful about actually articulating what I want to say to God, versus oh, you already know, you know what I mean. Um, maybe, maybe the corollary would be you know when we assume that our friends or our partner knows what we think about them, but we don't actually say it. You know what I mean, or. Um, but I, I think there's something that God, yes, cop out. That might be it. Um, that, that might be what, thank you, John. Um, that might be what, uh, it, it feels vulnerable to actually tell God maybe in so many words or to actually journal it out. Like, this is actually how I feel. Um, it makes it more real. Sometimes I like to just, I want to take the shortcut or the cop out and say like, oh, you know how I feel. Um, I think there's something really uh, powerful about just being honest in that way. Um, the next section is is an earnest petition. So what what do we want to ask God for? Which again, that feels vulnerable, right? Like because God might say yes, God might say no, God might say wait, right? Um, but being vulnerable enough to say like this is what I'm longing for. Um, this is what I would want to see. Um, yeah. And then uh, finally, most laments end with an expression of trust, right? How can we acknowledge uh, God's faithfulness to us in the past? Um, that's often the way they end. Sometimes I think for me, when I've written my own laments, um, it, sometimes this part is aspirational. I don't actually... I might not actually feel it in the moment, right? I'm trying to remember it. I'm trying to, to get there. Um, I'm reminding myself of God's goodness. Sometimes I describe this as, um, uh, I'm not sure if it's, I, I describe it as recursion. I'm not sure if it really is, but like, you know, it's like when you want to, want to trust God, but you don't actually trust God yet, you know, but you want to trust God. And sometimes for me, it's like, I want to want to trust God, 
but I'm not even at the want to trust God part. So I sort of start to strip away the want to's. I'm trying to get to the trust. So sometimes this part is aspirational, right? So the psalmist says, I've trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Yes, I will sing to the Lord because he has been good to me. So maybe there are specific ways you would write um, about God's faithfulness to you in the past. Um, I think communal laments include some of the same elements and answer some of the same questions, but they're more about um, the broader community or local community. What it, what has our community or our country or our people lost that we're grieving, right? They're often about injustice, um, putting our anger and sadness in front of God and calling out to God as being the one who can restore um, and heal and bring justice. Um, I'll say I think it takes it takes um it does take work uh to lament. Um it's easier to binge watch Netflix. Uh at least for me. Um it's easier to you know scroll news articles online. Um it's it's it does it does take energy. Um Maybe because of the vulnerability, maybe because it it um, the asking, the expressing trust. But I'll say I've never taken space to lament and felt um, I've never regretted taking the space to lament. Does that make sense? Um, that that has been an important. Um, an important way of both communicating and expressing my trust in God, um, as well as just being honest um, with God. And as I've, you know, gotten spaces to lead students into this, you know, it's not about how well good of a writer someone is or or anything like that. Um, though, I mean, folks certainly enjoy, you know, creativity and finding the right exact word um, to, to express what they're feeling. Um, but the key is, is to think, to focus on honesty and, and what, what's there. Um, I think hope that doesn't walk with lament is, is false hope, right? It's, it's the kind of positivity that's that's just oh look on the bright side you know that rings hollow um but hope that walks with lament that holds hands with lament i think um acknowledges what what we see lacking right acknowledges what is missing acknowledges the longing we have for something more beautiful more true more loving um acknowledges that and and reminds us that where where that hope comes from right where that shalom where that love comes from and it comes from god um hope that holds hands with lament i think really um that's that's the powerful thing right um acknowledging the present looking towards the future um
I might for the first time in my life end early. Maybe not first time ever, but because uh, I'm like, oh, do I have anything else I want to say about that? I'm I'm going to leave you with this, I think. And then we can maybe have extra time for questions if that's all right then, or just dialogue, because I'd love to hear from y'all too. I've been thinking a lot about this quote by theologian Rubem Alves. Um, Hope is hearing the music of the future. And and he says faith, and I would I would say I would just put in the brackets faithfulness um, is to dance to that music now. Um, I, I I've been thinking a lot about this as I've been thinking about the hope talks. Just I love that y'all are um, keying in on this and and listening to the music, hearing, being able to hear that music of the futures, that which is not yet quite here right um and i think doing that in the context of lament in the context of saying oh these are the hard things um this is my honest complaint this is what i think is wrong with the world uh i i, I like to tell students that anger is a way that we know that something's not right you know uh growing up i i was sort of taught that anger was not something we should ever express or feel and uh I understand where that's coming from. It can be uncomfortable, but anger is also what lets us know that something isn't right. You know, um, when one of my kids runs up and smacks the other kid upside the head, they're angry because that's not right, you know? Um, and that's good and right and appropriate. Now, what they do with that anger, right? Do they smack the other kid upside the head? You know, like that. that's that's a different thing of like, what do we do with the anger? But the, the emotion itself, um, is is tells us something right um so sorry uh, but the hope walking with lament hearing the music of the f future um recognizing where we're at right now and still choosing to dance to that music of the future i think that's faithfulness and i think it's hard <laughs> um i'm not a good dancer <laughs> right? Like when you can't hear the music, you're even worse of a dancer. Um, so I love that, uh, that y'all are focusing in on hope because how can we hear that music, right? How can we remind each other of the music when I forget the tune, right? How can my community help remind me of that tune, right? And when I forget how I want to dance, like how can my community help me, um, remember how to dance? Um, no, and I, I think maybe the the last thing I would add is that just the faithfulness to dance to it now, that that isn't. Um, I think there are seasons where it, it feels like that is a kind of um, grip my teeth, gut it out, faithfulness. I think that is. I think that is there, right? Like the the long obedience in the same direction type. There's like just a there's like a persistence. But I also think maybe this is a paradox. I also think that the faithfulness to dance to it now, dance to that music now is also a God-given grace, you know, that, that, um, that as we bring our laments to God, as we are honest and petition, um, as we express our, even our aspirational trust, um, our ears become more attuned to that music. The music gets louder, you know, and our, um, 
our ability to dance. You know, sometimes the music just moves you. I, I think that's a grace from God, you know, the, our faithfulness, our faith to, to dance to the music even today. So, yeah, just, just some thoughts and reflections from, uh, from where I've been sitting in those last few months, um, from just some perspectives of, of, of really the last few years, I think I started by saying, you know, every generation thinks that they're having, that, that their time is hard. I, I do think, you know, just the last few years of pandemic and violence and, um, just many different, um, natural disasters and these things, it, it, I think it's a lot, you know, so I, I'm, I love that y'all are focusing in on hope. I think, um, yeah, God's invitation to walk holding both hope and lament together is a beautiful one. It's a challenging one, but I think it's beautiful and worthwhile. So grateful for the space. Hey, thanks, Sabrina.